Grace and peace to you from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Let us pray. Almighty God, by the glorious resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, you conquered death and opened the gate to eternal life. Grant that we, who have been raised with him through baptism, may walk in newness of life and ever rejoice in the hope of sharing his glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom, with you and the Holy Spirit, be dominion and praise, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our Easter morning sermon is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb he rolled away the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so terrified of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead. And look, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. They hurried away from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They approached, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers that they should go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the gospel of our Lord. On Good Friday we have Jesus in the tomb, and we have the tomb sealed. That wrapped up the last of our Passion History sermons in which we've covered ironies in the Lord's Passion. But we continue that theme of irony today as we look at the tomb. You see, those guards are standing outside that tomb and they don't even realize Jesus has just emptied the tomb. We're not told exactly where he went. The next time we're told he will appear to the women. And yet they're guarding an empty tomb. And the women are coming to attend to a body that's in a tomb, and yet that tomb is empty. There is no body. And so, today we rejoice and we say, He has risen. He's risen indeed. And our sermon theme is, An Empty Tomb Receives Visitors. Our text tells us, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Matthew focuses on two of the group of women who go, and perhaps they traveled together and the other women came from a different point of the city to meet at the tomb. And yet ultimately they receive that message from the angel. He's not here. He's risen, just as he said. There's an irony here that these women with servants' hearts, these women with loving hearts, they love their Lord. They knew he was the Messiah, and they come to tend to his body, and yet they do so out of great love, but unbelief, I don't mean this as a vicious, horrible unbelief. Simply put, Jesus had told them over and over again that he would rise. Just as the angel said, he has risen, just as he said. This is comfort for you and I, as we look at the ironic unbelief from such grateful hearts, because we love the Lord. And yet you and I stumble into sin, you and I miss things that God's Word states so clearly, and we daily need to be reminded that we are sinners who need a Savior. And we daily need to be reminded that we don't earn our forgiveness, and yet our sins weigh us down. We daily need to be reminded 
we have a Savior who has washed our sins away. And so we look at an empty tomb receiving visitors and we see ironic unbelief from such grateful hearts and yet it's comfort for us because God also comes with the comfort of His Word even when you are confused. Now, on Good Friday, we saw how the chief priests and the Pharisees came to Pilate to secure the tomb because they wanted to make sure that nobody thought that Jesus had risen. They placed a wax seal over that tomb that if broken, the person who broke it would end up being accountable to Pilate themselves and could suffer the death penalty, could even be crucified. We saw the irony that a guard is posted there. Jesus has apparated out of the tomb as the women are on their way and we're told in verse 2, suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled away the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. Jesus doesn't even bother opening up the door. Poof, he comes out. But then, while humans have set the stone there, any human being that breaks that seal on that stone is going to be answerable up to the death penalty. And so God resolves the problem. He sends an immortal being, someone you cannot kill, someone who they could not touch. An angel rolls the stone away, and it seems that he knocks it over so that that stone cannot be placed over that tomb for Jesus again. And he sits on it. Man makes his plans, and the Lord laughs. There's an ironic display of power here. The human beings do everything they can to make sure that God does not raise the Savior from the dead. The Savior just apparates right out of that tomb, and then an angel shows up to make it abundantly clear, this is God's power. Man did the best he could, and the Lord laughed. This is comfort for you and I, because God is omnipotent. Whether we face the terrors of death ourselves, God has defeated it. He's all-powerful. Whether we face in this life vast armies coming from invading countries or plagues or other things, God's all-powerful. And there's comfort because God has made a promise to you. I've given you faith and I will keep you. I will keep you secure in your faith. Nothing is going to separate you from my love. But then, that guard that was posted there in order to prevent people from entering the tomb, we're told at verse 4 about that guard, the guards were so terrified of him that they shook and became like dead men. Terrifying. That angel was a message of terror for those who would put a hindrance on the message that Christ has risen. The other Gospels tell us that after these soldiers overcame their terror, they ran and tattletailed on the events that happened. The Roman soldier was highly disciplined. The Roman soldier was taught not to break ranks. And yet, God laughed at their training. He sent an angel, and the angel's appearance was a strong proclamation. This was the tomb of the God-man, and he has emptied it. And all of your guarding, all of your terror is nothing to the Lord's army. And so there's an irony that that angel's appearance was a message of terror for the unbelievers. Just as God's law, his Ten Commandments, constantly accuse us, you have broken these in thought, word, and deed. 
And that terror reminds us how desperately we need a Savior and that while God is all-powerful, we are not all-powerful and we cannot stand up to the condemnation of the law. This is why we rejoice and find comfort in the empty tomb. And that angel whose very appearance was a message of terror for some was a message of comfort for others. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. For some who deny the Lord, for those who despise the Lord, one way or the other, they will end up looking at him with terror, often through the terror of the flames of hell. But for those who love the Lord, for those who have faith, even as we already covered at times when that faith is confused, the Lord comes with the wonderful words of comfort. I have defeated your sin. I have defeated the grave just as I promised. And he promises you that he will raise you up from your grave and give you eternal life. And he promises you that he is ruling over all creation to keep you in your faith. And so, an empty tomb receives visitors. We see ironic unbelief from such grateful hearts. We see an ironic display of power when man has tried to prevent God's power. And we see ironic terror for some, yet comfort for others. And now, what's the message he gives them after the fact that he tells them he's risen and go look and see the tomb is empty? Verse 6, he's not here, he's risen just as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. Then verses 7, the angel says, go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. And look, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Who does God send to tell the apostles that he is risen? He doesn't immediately appear to them himself. He sends the women. You and I often can battle the temptation that we would like God just to appear to us and tell us his will in life. Yes, I want you to take this job and I would like you to say this, this, and this to that person. Instead, how does God work? He says, I had sinful human beings inspired by my Holy Spirit record the word and I speak to you through the word, the Bible. When we're weary, when we're sad, when we're lonely, he sends a brother or sister in Christ to comfort us. He sends us with the word. Yes, Jesus could have apparated out of that tomb and made himself appear right before those soldiers. Instead, he sent an angel. Jesus could have kicked that door right open and scared the guards himself, showing off his godly glory. Instead, he sent an angel. He could have appeared right there to all the disciples and said, Look, just like I told you, I was risen. Instead, he sent the women. We find out that Peter and John run to go look at the tomb immediately themselves. But the point we want to get here is, God could have come and done this stuff himself. Instead, he chose to send messengers. That's a privilege for the messengers. And if you're looking for God to give you direct revelation, that's not how God usually works. He usually will send messengers. He's made you a member of a priesthood, the universal priesthood of all believers. When a brother or sister in Christ is falling into sin, he uses your mouth to tell them you're embracing the sin. You can squeeze the Holy Spirit out of your heart. He also sends you when somebody recognizes and they feel the terror of their sin to say, Take heart, your Lord has removed it. That sin is gone. It will never be held against you. Now, there's also a comfort for us because, as we'll find out in the weeks that follow Easter, 
the women go and they tell the apostles that he's risen. And I've said Peter and John run off to investigate the tomb, but the apostles kind of stand around in unbelief. It wasn't the women's job to convince them to lay out the science. They were simply sent as messengers. And as I've already mentioned, he has made you a priest, his messenger, to bind and loose sin with the keys, with the law, and with the forgiveness. But he doesn't send you to convince people of the proof. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You're the messenger. You have a message. He's risen. The tomb is empty. Come and see. Now, I've been covering how we would like the Lord to come and talk directly to us and give us direct revelation. However, in verse 8 we're told, They hurried away from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They approached, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go tell my brothers that they should go to Galilee, and there they will see me. It's after he's already instilled the faith in their hearts to believe that he is risen, that he appears before them. It's after they've been given the commission by a messenger, an angel, to go tell others that Jesus reaffirms us. There's an ironic appearance. You see, there are witnesses to everything that happened from the earthquake to the angel appearing and rolling the stone away, to the guards who saw that running in fear, to the women talking to the angels and seeing the empty tomb. Peter and John will get to run and see the empty tomb. But you know what there's not an eyewitness to? There's not an eyewitness to that moment when Jesus apparated out of that tomb. Oh, there's plenty of eyewitnesses to his resurrection, so they actually saw the resurrected Lord. And yet, God leaves just himself as the witness that he emptied the tomb. Like I said, plenty of witnesses that saw him afterwards as proof that the tomb was empty. That's how God works. That's how faith works. God can present all the facts, but he always leaves that one thing because he wants you to believe it by the Holy Spirit in your heart, simply because God has proven he's trustworthy. And so there's an ironic appearance here, and it's how the Lord works for us. I covered on Monday, Thursday, in a unique way, he's given us the good news of salvation through the Lord's Supper where we receive the body and blood, but we only receive it to our spiritual benefit when we believe what science cannot prove or disprove. Science can prove the resurrection because people saw the resurrected Lord, but nobody saw him apparate out of that tomb. That we believe by faith. But there's so much evidence that we'd be fools not to see it. And so, today, as we wrap up our sermon on ironies, we see an empty tomb receives visitors. Ironic unbelief from such grateful hearts, yet the Lord would use the angel and appear to them to give them the right belief. An ironic display of power as men tried to prevent the message of the resurrection. God laughs apparates out of the tomb, and then sends his angel in an earthquake and everything. And so we see an ironic terror for some, and yet that angel's appearance in the empty tomb was comfort for others, for the women, for the believers, for those who loved him. Those women became ironic messengers, and then the message that they shared would be recorded by men like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and each would record it from a different perspective, but their witnesses do not conflict they put together the full story. We see God has made you a messenger of his resurrection as well. And it's then that we see the ironic appearance. The Lord does not appear to us in the times and dates in the way that we would want. 
He does it in a way that makes it absolutely necessary that we have faith, and yet he's provided everything we need for that faith and to show us he's risen. This is your salvation. And now, may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us join together in the prayer of the church for Easter. Heavenly Father, God of grace, you have brought us into a new and living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Christ is risen. For as in Adam all died, so in Christ all will be made alive. He is risen indeed. He was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. Alleluia. We marvel at the love you showed by your willingness to sacrifice your Son to pay for our sins. We bow down in adoration at your mighty power, which raised him from the dead. We praise you for sending the true life and light into the world. Lord Jesus, God of grace, you have filled our hearts with resurrection joy by your victory over sin, death, and the grave. You have conquered the darkness and given us comfort and hope. With the church of every age, we offer you unending praise, for you have crushed Satan's head and have removed our guilt. You are risen. Dear Savior, we who are weary and burdened come to you for rest, knowing that because of your perfect redemption, there is now no condemnation for us. You are risen indeed. Take away our doubts and fears and daily renew in us the joy of our salvation. Alleluia. Holy Spirit, God of grace, you have called us by the gospel and brought us to saving faith in our risen Lord. We glorify you for opening our eyes to see the light of life. Keep us with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. He is risen. As we journey through life, make us yearn for the day when you will give eternal life to us and all believers in Christ. He is risen indeed. We ask you, O Lord, to remember our brothers and sisters to whom trials and troubles have come. We ask you, Heavenly Father, to rule over creation that you can put this coronavirus into recession so that we can gather again in safety and security around your word and sacraments. Keep our flocks strong during this time and keep us well fed, Lord. We ask you to work through doctors and nurses to save lives of those who do contract this. And we ask you to work through the scientists to develop cures and vaccines. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Work through us as we proclaim the saving message of the crucified and risen Jesus near and far, so that many others may hear your call, obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus, and join us before the throne of our God and of the Lamb. Alleluia! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Alleluia! Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.
Amen. And remember, He has risen. He has risen indeed. Alleluia.